right, well, hey, we just thought Winter Youth Camp was such a blast. It was worthy of two recap videos. Um, and so I just want to thank Brian Ronk for putting that uh, together. And so let's give him a hand. Uh, and also um, Troy Plum uh, and Becky Milham for, like, giving their weekend um, to, to be there. And, and part of what we're doing, like, sorry, did anybody else's back just hurt watching that? Like, am I the only one? Like, like, I have a good authority. No children were injured in the filming of that production. Um, but for me, I'm like, it hurts just to walk up and down stairs sometimes. So uh, to see that, I mean, it just sounds like it was a great intentional time for the kids, obviously, to have a lot of fun. But you saw as well that they were, they were worshiping together with other churches. Um, they were hearing good teaching. Uh, we actually have uh, Pastor Henty who is teaching there. He's actually going to be a guest speaker for us this spring at the end of April. So we're excited to have him come join us um, the, uh, for one of the weekends. Uh, and then as well, like, you know, good times a small group and obviously good food. Um, so uh, I, I'm told that Brian told everybody to take those massive uh, bites. And so um, anyway, it's just great to kind of see that, to have a, a little bit of fun, and we're just thankful um, just for that time. And, and really, what I want to talk to you about is, is, like, that was intentional. It was intentional time set aside for growth. Not that, like, one camp is going to change somebody's life necessarily, al although, you know, we do believe those times can be impactful. Um, but as we've been in this series called Preeminence, His Story, Our Practice, a lot of what we've been talking about is the aspect of just intentionality in our lives. That our key verse for this series has been from Colossians 1, 17 through 18 that says, He, meaning Jesus, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. We said that word means being first. And so we began our series talking about how Jesus is at the center, Jesus is at the first of his story, the Bible. He's also at the center of history, all of history is about Jesus. And that because Jesus is first, then if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, then that means that we need to have lives that are oriented around Jesus being first. And so we said that needs to then bleed into our practices as individuals, but also as a church. And so we've been talking about gathering. That if Jesus is first, uh, th then we should be gathered uh, around Jesus and for Jesus. And that looks like gathering uh, with the church on Sundays and also, you know, small groups or the meetings and different things we're doing. We've talked about how if Jesus is going to be first in your life, he needs to be first in, in your time and your talent, but also your treasure, in your finances. And so we spent two weeks talking about intentionality, about why we would be a generous people because we have a generous God. And then uh, this week and next, we're going to talk about what it means, means to grow, um, that Jesus is faithful for us and he desires for us to be fruitful. And then finally, we'll close this series out before Easter, uh, looking at mission, going on mission. And we'll talk about what that means here in the life of our church. We'll talk about what that means, Lord willing, outside the walls of this church. And we'll talk about um, uh, at the end of March, that last Sunday in March, we're going to um, have a, a Sunday where we're going to get together for lunch afterwards. We're just going to talk about what we think is going to be next in the mission uh, for Mercy Fellowship as it relates to to things like staffing and facilities uh, and, and, and things around intentionality. But a camp like that didn't just happen without any planning at all. It took a lot of people working together to make it happen. It took us developing intentional relationships with other churches to make that happen. To be clear, uh, I mean, very thankful for the, the leaders that we had go, but a lot of the heavy lifting for that camp was done by some other churches. And we're just thankful that they blessed us that way. So, because they're growing and they want to see us grow and we're growing. I mean, I, I can actually say, like, like even just our Sunday gatherings over the last three or four months have grown in terms of how many people are participating with us. And that's super encouraging because we should want to grow. And, and not want to grow because, hey, we want to see Mercy Fellowship be the biggest, best church in Snohomish County or something ridiculous like that. Like, there's one church in Snohomish County, and that's the Bride of Christ. And it has many different expressions. And so we're part of that, and we're thankful to be part of that. But all of us should want to see us grow collectively, right? To joy, to be together, to, to sing, to, to, to worship, to take communion, to uh, hear God's word pre preached. And, and, but we also should want to grow individually. And I'll just submit to you, I believe we all do, in our heart of hearts, want to grow. 
likely at any stage of life. And I'll say, hey, for some of us, you know, if, if we're middle-aged or maybe beyond middle-aged, we might say, well, actually, I really liked this year, right? That maybe it was in the rearview mirror. Maybe you think that you've peaked at some point. And, 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 and I mean, like for me, my, my wife was like, well, you know, she, she never asked me, when do you think you peaked? Because that would be like implying that I haven't peaked yet. Uh, but I always kind of go, well, yeah, 36 just seemed like a good year. I don't know why. Lots of things were happening. Uh, it was just, I just, I really liked that year. But like, like if I was still just the person I was, you know, 36, which was, you know, a few years ago, um, you know, then like, I don't think I'd be satisfied. And certainly like if you're a student right now and you're in elementary school, you're not like, I hope I'm in fifth grade forever. Like, no, you don't. Like, you know, maybe when you find out that when you grow up, you have to pay your own bills, you'll be like, I want to be under 18 forever, <laughs> right? Maybe. But, 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 but we all chuckle about that because we know actually there's something inherently just feels like a little bit off when we're hearing like, you know, oh, you haven't launched yet and you're in your 30s or 40s, right? I don't mean to mock, but it's like all of us desire maturity, all of us want to grow, and, and certainly early in life, we, we, we want to see, like, hey, I want to get the driver's license. Hey, I want to graduate. Hey, I want to earn a degree or start a business or, or start to work, or I want to get married, or I want to start a family, or I want to see that family grow. Like, we always desire growth. That is, like, like something that's just intrinsically in us. And I pray that individually and also as a church that we would grow in depth, if you will, maturity, and also breadth in multiplication, right? We should want to see more people here. We want to see more churches. We should want to see more services. We want like, like more disciples, more disciples, yes, and amen. And so when we talk about growth, though, most of our mindset usually goes into the concept of physical growth. And most physical growth, um, you know, tends to be typically organic, right? So like, like I said, when you're young, you don't get to decide when puberty starts, right? There's, there's just that day where the voice cracks a little bit, and your parents tell you, take a shower every day. Maybe twice, maybe three times, right? It just happens. You can't even will yourself to grow at certain points. Like, it is something that happens because, like, like organically, you are made and designed to grow. So, like, like, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a certain height, and I wasn't there yet. And, and like, I couldn't just... Let's get to it. Like, it doesn't work. So even as a Christian and spiritually, you can't force growth. Okay? But I absolutely do believe that Jesus teaches, and we're going to look at John 15 today, that Jesus teaches us that you can do things that can foster growth or encourage spiritual growth. And you can do things absolutely that can hinder growth. And so... Um, we want to be people that grow and pursue growth intentionally. The even organic growth is more fruitful when cultivated. So things like character quality, like wisdom, holiness, maturity, joy, patience, all those things, they actually require some cultivation. And so if we want to enjoy greater fruitfulness in life, and we should want fruitfulness, then we need to lean into the faithfulness of Christ. So I'm going to look at John 15 today. Three different sections of scripture. We're going to look at John 15, 1 through 17. I've broken up into three parts. And we're going to look at what it means to be loved intentionally. We're going to look at what it means to be loved for joy and obedience. And we're going to look at what it means to, to be a loved people who love other people. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, if you have your study guide and preeminence, we're in uh, week one of Grow. So I'll read it and we'll talk about it. John 15, verses 1 through 5. says this. This is Jesus. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word, excuse me, word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide or dwell or rest in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. So 
I want to put this verse in its context. This is the last of seven I am statements that Jesus makes throughout the book of John. Like, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, I am the light of the world. All these different things. And here, Jesus and his disciples, um, they, are, they have finished having the Last Supper, where Jesus has instituted communion to remember the sacrifice that he is about to make. They are on their way from the Last Supper, perhaps into the Garden of Gethsemane. Or perha- and so they may have actually been walking by vineyards at that time. Or perhaps they had recently been um, or near the court of the temple, which had ornate, like, like golden grapevines uh, all around it because the people of God had that as a national symbol of God's faithfulness, of God's abundant blessing and fruitfulness in life. Right? The vine that makes grapes, that makes wine. And so in this context of either walking by vines or, or being near them, Jesus says, hey, you want to know who the vine is that brings joy? You want to know who the b- vine is that brings abundance, that brings growth, that brings fruitfulness in life? He says, I am the vine. Verse 1 and verse 5. That Jesus is the source of life. He is the purpose of life bearing fruit. And so so if you want to know personally for you or corporately for us as a church, where are you going to, to find life? Where's the source of life? It comes from Jesus. That Jesus is the vine. And I love that he talks about vine because a vine is rooted in fertile ground. A vine is where life flows through. A vine is a source of life for other branches. A vine is also, because it's in that fertile ground, connected to the source. So it's a conduit of life and it's, it's a connection to life. But see, a vine is necessary for fruitfulness. See, the type of vine Jesus is talking about isn't fruitless, right? He says, this is a fruitful vine. It is purposeful. It's productive. And so he says, hey, you're the branches that abide. And that word means held together, survive, live. Uh, We're actually going to look at the book of 1 John here after Easter into summer that, that uses that word a lot about life with Christ. But he says, we're the branches. And he's the vine. And that we are held together and survive as, as Jesus abides, dwells, lives in us. And so Jesus uses this metaphor of a vine to talk about what fruitfulness looks like for a disciple. We say here at Mercy Fellowship, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And so disciples grow and they produce lives marked by fruitfulness. That lives of, as disciples of Jesus, following Jesus, that they actually do please the Lord. That it produces fruit. Sometimes that fruit is as simple as just repentance of sin. Sometimes that, that fruit is, is evangelizing to other people. Sometimes that fruit is being on mission. Sometimes that fruit isn't as tangible as that, but it's the fruits of the Spirit. Patience, peace, joy, love, faithfulness, self-control, right? All, all of those that you can see in Galatians 5. And so we always think about fruit producing something tangible, like I said, but sometimes it is a spiritual aspect. So if you're like, well, I don't know, I have, you know, I, 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 I'm not leading a big Bible study or, or man, I don't have a big family or I don't have a big business or I don't have, like whatever, like, no, sometimes and most of the time, the fruit that God is producing is actually deeper connection with him, deeper maturity, if you will, with him. The fruitfulness is sometimes one of endurance. Right, he's talking about grapes, and, and I've been told that actually the, the sweetest grapes produced are the ones that come from the harshest seasons because it pushes the sugars out to the end for protection. Jesus is so intentional in his teaching. So he's incredibly intentional in this metaphor. Jesus is the vine, and he says God the Father is the gardener. God is the gardener means that that he's the one that's working to shape and change those connected to Jesus specifically. And he, he talks about it in a very specific way. We, we heard a word here that, that sometimes gets overused and, and sometimes maybe not used enough in, in discipleship circles. But he says, hey, um, he who does not bear fruit, yeah, he takes away. Every branch, verse 2, that bears fruit, he, meaning God the vine dresser, he prunes. 
so that it will bear more fruit. So let's talk about pruning for a second. Three things I want us to know about pruning. Pruning is always painful. Pruning is, is purposeful. And pruning is productive. So let's, let's talk about this. See, um, he's using this metaphor of a, of a vineyard. And a real vineyard pruning is not small tweaks or course corrections. If you ever want to nerd out and watch videos about like how they make good wine and, and how, they, how vine dressers work, and they talk about pruning, it, it's never like just a small little, like, like, you know, like a little bonsai tree, right? You're like, oh, I just, just did a little. It is like, whoa, what did you just do to that vine? And, and, and sometimes it looks really ugly and mangled when it happens. See, we need to know that pruning is for a purpose, that pruning is, is and can and likely will be painful. See, when you cut down a vine back to the place that it needs to grow to produce fruit again for the next season, I'll just be frank, it looks lifeless for a while. Sometimes we go through seasons of pruning, of hacking back of either relationships or other things that are happening in your life where you're just like, whoa, is there anything left? God, like, this just feels desolate. And each time, it hurts. Like, it actually does hurt to go through difficult seasons. Like, like Jesus, the Bible, is never like, hey, you're going to go through tough seasons. He does say count it all joy often. And we'll talk about that in a, in a moment. But it never, ever, ever does God negate the pain of the pruning. The pruning is always painful. But we can feel pain, and yet it's for the purpose at times of endurance. He knows that the pruning is, as dramatic as it may be at times, is necessary for our good. And I think we struggle to understand this concept because, because pain doesn't always mean harm. So we think, oh, if it hurts, it must be bad. Now, hey, you injure yourself, right? You know, hey, you know, your, your arm's lopped off and it's bleeding. Like, it's okay. Tourniquet that thing. Put the arm in the cooler. Let's get to the hospital and let's get that patched up, right? But for goodness sakes, right? I mean, my, my, my son's got like some water bottle from the Marines, right? Pain is weakness leaving the body. We intrinsically know that there are painful things that we go through that actually produce greater strength in us, greater maturity, greater endurance. And it doesn't mean you love it as it's happening. So I'm not saying endure abuse. I'm not saying don't care for yourself or seek healing. But pain doesn't always equal harm. Just because something's painful or difficult doesn't mean it's wrong or harmful. Maybe God is working our lives for a purpose, right? Number two, pruning is purposeful. The pruning is purposeful. Right? Like I said, it's not an accident that Jesus is talking about a vine and, and not a tree or a vegetable. He, he tells us to be fruitful. Fruit comes from a vine. He doesn't say, be vegetable right? Because vegetables are just like, whatever, seed in the ground, there's a potato, hooray, right? You know, there's a carrot, nothing too exciting. It's the stuff you put around a pot roast. So you're like, yeah, I guess I'll eat that after I eat the meat, right? Like, no, he's like, you're going to be fruitful. Vines for wine, for joy, for life. And so he's saying the pruning is going to have a purpose. And so vines are grown specifically, not just on the ground. They're built on what? A trellis. That takes intentionality. That means structures are built in that in and of themselves have no life. But they are there to foster organic growth. And so Sunday morning service on its own does not produce life. It is a structure that allows the people of God to come together to sing praises to our God, to hear God's word proclaimed, to take communion, to remember Jesus' work in our place, to give of our tithes and offerings, to remember that our God is generous, and it fosters the ability for organic growth to happen. A Wednesday night equip night, or a small group, or a youth camp, in and of themselves, are just structures, like a trellis, where organic growth can be fostered. And so, what's amazing about this, right, is there are times that we go through pain in our lives that's self-inflicted, 
But when it's pruning, it's the work of a master gardener, or in this case, he says, vine dresser. Jesus doesn't just say, like, someone who likes weeding. He's like, our God, God the Father, is a vine dresser. He tends the vines like a master vintner. What that means is it's not like a toddler that goes out into the the fresh flowers you picked and just rips them all up. No, it's a master vintner, vine dresser, gardener that you can trust that when pruning is happening, that our God knows what he's doing. That it's for a purpose. Right? It's not just like a rando with a chainsaw. It's an artisan to produce the best fruit for the next season. A season he's preparing fruit for you, for me, for us. Sometimes things get cut off that appear healthy. It doesn't make sense to those who aren't the vine dresser. Sometimes even fruit-bearing branches get pruned back to make more fruit in its next season. What I love about what he says here is he says, hey, the, the vines that are producing fruit, they're not left alone to just do their fruit producing. They're the ones that get cultivated the most. They're the ones that get cultivated the best, which means more pruning. So maybe now you're like, well, I don't know if I want to grow. <laughs> not if it means this. Well, no, it's, it's, it's purposeful. See, sometimes vines and branches, they can get taken and grafted into another mature pruned back vine so they actually grow more rapidly. I mean, I just, I think about this in the context of the church. I can tell you in, in my 15 years in serving in some form of ministry that I've seen uh, the churches I've been a part of get pruned back so many different times. And, and there's been times where you're like, whoa, what, what was happening there? Or what was going on? Or, or man, the leftover remnant just, just looks a little out of sorts. And, and I find those seasons to be discouraging personally. And yet I've seen God be incredibly faithful to take those pruned back times and lead to greater fruitfulness down the road. Some of us have been part of churches that have, that have gone through really challenging, painful things. Sometimes we've been part of churches that have shut down. And so we, we end up going in, or, or we move and we go to another church for all sorts of reasons. And that's what he's talking about, the vine being grafted into another vine for the purposes of continued growth. That, that you can know if you've been grafted back in that you are loved and you are known. And so I want us to know that being pruned is actually evidence of God's nearness in your life. That if you're bearing fruit, you should expect to be pruned. And then number three, pruning is productive. I do want us to know that all of this pain of pruning has a purpose. For God to bring more growth to us. And so, so don't think for a second that God's like, let's cut, let's wound for, for no reason. Jesus is very clear. He says, this is for the purpose, so the vine will bear more fruit. They said God produces or prunes rather what's already productive. And so I, I want you to know it is okay to enjoy seasons where everything seems humming-ing. Like savor them. Like, it's okay to enjoy fruitful seasons and, and, and not think, uh-oh, uh-oh, pruning's coming. Like, no, just enjoy them. And know that there may and likely will be other seasons of pruning. And each one of those will be painful, will be purposeful, and will be productive. And ultimately, at the end, we find ourselves united with Christ for eternity, where there is no more suffering. Where there is, to be clear, no more pruning. And so, an unpruned vineyard is an unkept and unloved vineyard. I want you to think about that. The way to know that God might be distant might be to enjoy so much prosperity you don't think you need Him. Or it might be to recognize that a loved vineyard, a loved vine, is a pruned vine. That there may be some fruit, but there'll never be as much or, or as there could or should if it's not properly pruned. 
So I know you're going through some difficult seasons. We've all faced and endured difficult things. But know that you're not alone and that all that God is doing is purposeful. All right, let's move on to the next section. We have first, you're loved intentionally. Think about pruning as intentionally being loved. Part two, love to be obedient and joyful. This is verses six through 11. It says this. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like the branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Not good news. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have been spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. So Jesus, in those first few verses, says, God the Father is the vine dresser, Jesus is the vine, and then just to really hammer home the analogy for us, he says, we are the branches. And then he says, hey, you, you kind of, in some regards, have a choice of which type of branch you want to be. You will either be a branch that is fruitful or you will be a branch that is withered. And the determinant of that is your connection to Jesus Christ. And so he just makes it really, really clear. I know it's hard for me to probably say something like we're a loved branch. And you're like, you just talked about pruning for 10 minutes and that's painful. No, see, everyone wants growth without the pain that comes to produce growth. But we're people of cross and crown. Our Lord Jesus, by God's grace, endured the cross so that we could enjoy the crown. But he also tells us we're going to follow a cruciform life. That the life of a disciple is one that does include sacrifice. It's one that does include dying to yourself to, to look outward, to love others. We'll get to that in a moment. There are two types of branches. Loved, fruitful branches or fruitless branches. Number one, we are loved branches that are abiding in the vine that is Jesus. And Jesus says, if I'm abiding in you, the expectation is that fruit will be produced. But there's also an assurance that if we're in Christ, Jesus, in those first few verses, says, you are already clean because of the words that I told you. So it's not about, do I produce enough fruit for the, so that Jesus will love me? You're already loved, he says. And you are loved for the purposes of, yes, your enjoyment, but also to produce fruit. The people, to put in our own language here at Mercy Fellowship, people who have been saved by Jesus' work will be changed by Jesus' grace. And we say that because we're not able to produce anything on our own, right? And the verse 5 said, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing, you can produce nothing. All we can produce as a function of our connection to and abiding in the source of life. And he says, with Jesus, we will bear much fruit. And that means that as branches, that we, if you're a branch, if I'm a branch, that should lead us to humility. One that when we see fruit, we're not like, I did that. Like no branch produces fruit on its own, right? It has to be connected to the vine. At the same time, we don't have to be despairing in any way, shape, or form because we know that all fruitfulness is a function of the life that comes to us from Jesus. So if we're enduring seasons where, where maybe we are still walking faithfully, just maybe sometimes, I mean, you ever have a, a quiet time that just feels more like oatmeal than a nice omelet? And you're like, oh, I read it. I don't know if it meant anything. Or I showed up to church that Sunday. I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't have any feels. Well, I'm still, I'm still giving, but I don't know if my heart's generous. Like, whatever it is, don't be despairing because it's, it's not because you're not faithful enough. No, Jesus is the one who's perfectly faithful in our place. And he will produce the fruit in and through us that he's intended to produce. 
And so that shows us the humility because we know how powerless we are and how much we need to be constantly fed by the source of life because without Jesus, it says we can do nothing. The other option, though, he says in verse 6, and this is, should, should give us a pause. It should give us a, a cause for kind of you know, a soul check, right? That, that without Jesus, you are a fruitless, withered branch. The reason being is because you're disconnected from the source of life. So if you've ever done yard work, which I try to avoid like the plague, um, I don't like yard work. Uh, but a couple times a year, I get so annoyed with how my yard looks that I go do something. Um, and so sometimes, right, you can cut off a bunch of branches, right, from a fruitful tree or a bush or typically blackberries, right? And you cut them all off. And at the moment that they're cut off, they're still green, there's still some blackberries on them, or maybe there's still flowers on them. And you're like, and they can sit out, you know, on your driveway or wherever you're pruning, right, or clipping up. And at those moments that they're cut off, it still looks like life, right? You got friends, you know people that just, oh, I'm not going to church anymore. I don't read my Bible anymore. I don't really, you know, I, don't, I don't know if I want to be part of that anymore. And, and at the moment of being cu- cutting themselves off, they still you know, basically look the same. And yet, if you actually are cutting yourself off from the vine, what do those branches look like a day later? A week later, a month later, a year later. You look at them, and the purpose of them being kindling, the Lord says, isn't because you're like, man, we're just burning up these fruitful vines. It's like, no. They're disconnected from the source of life and their spiritual death. And so, they're not going to become compost and like help produce new life. You know, it's not like this like circle of life kind of, yay, maybe you'll come back as a tree. No, but instead he says it's going to become fuel for the fire. And I just want to be clear, that's not good news. I also want to be clear who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples. So he's not threatening his disciples like, if you stop producing fruit, it's going to get hot. He's drawing out a contrast of what it means to be connected to the source of life and what it means to be ultimately disconnected, to give them comfort in the times of difficulty. See, this is in the same breath of letting them know about the pain of pruning. He's telling them it's to produce a greater life. He's reminding them of how great the like, eternal pain of being cut off from the vine is. He's like, hey, you can be a pruned, love, fruitful vine, or... If you really want to be disconnected from the source, you're going to get what you desire, and it's not going to ultimately be life-giving. But separated fruitless branches will be gathered, he says, and discarded, while connected branches will generate a joyful fruit harvest. And so the outworking of that for us when we talk about growth is that leads us and propels us to be obedient and to be joyful. Because we've already said, wow, we're intentionally loved by God the Father. We're pursued by Jesus. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. That God's motive for abiding in Jesus and even being pruned by Him is ultimately our joy. Joy in knowing that you're intentionally loved. That Jesus says, hey, the outworking of your fruitfulness is actually going to be joy and not even a joy that you've produced. He says, I already have joy. The reason Jesus has joy is because he's abiding in the Father. He's in perfect communion with God the Father. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity is in joyful communion. He says, if you're my disciples, you are connected to the Trinity of joyful communion. And so you don't have to produce joy. Joy is going to flow into you and be produced for you because of your connection to Jesus, right? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So he says this is for the glorification of God, that to see God as our greatest treasure. And so the context of Jesus talking about obedience to him, turning from sin, walking in faithfulness, repentance, all of those obedience, submission, uh, repentance words are in the context of you're loved by God the Father, I've made you clean with my word, you're to be fruitful, and the outworking of all of that is joy in Christ. 
joy for his people, what greater security and motivation could we have in terms of walking in obedience or faithfulness or fruitfulness than being connected to the source of joy? So anytime we talk about obedience, it's in the context of a gospel. So I want to say it this way. We believe in identity-driven obedience. That you're not obeying and working hard to produce fruit so you can say you're a vine. But because you are a vine, and you are a branch connected to the vine, you will bear fruit. That who we are in Christ has an impact not only on what we do now, but why we do it. And so this discussion around something like growth or obedience or, or engaging in those trellises that help produce life isn't one about whether you're saved or not, about whether you live or die. It's one about more or less joy, greater or lesser fruitfulness as we walk in faithfulness. And so I don't want you to think that if your outworking of the sermon is, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more engaged, or I'm going to gather more, or I'm going to serve more, or I'm going to help disciple kids and mercy kids, you should help disciple kids and mercy kids. But don't think, okay, now that I've filled my calendar, now that I've got my budget aligned, now that I'm giving, now that I'm doing all those things, now look at me, I'm fruitful. Or believe that somehow you're now a more faithful Christian. No, we need to stay connected to the source. And we need to have those strong trellises. And we can't produce growth on our own, but we can do things to stifle growth. And so, like I said, those, those trellises are structured environments. And so I just want you to ask yourself, what am I cultivating? Our simple trellises. Like, it's not a lot that we do here, right? We gather on Sunday mornings. Right now we've got to equip on Wednesday nights. We pray read our Bibles, we practice generosity, we serve, we love one another. Lord willing, you're inviting each other into each other's lives so you get to activities or meals or, or whatever else. Because part of bearing fruit, that joy that Jesus talks about, it's not just individual, it's communal. Remember, Jesus isn't doing a one-on-one -on -one with his disciples at that moment, grabbing them each one and being like, okay, Peter, let me tell you about fruitfulness. John, let me tell you about fruitfulness. Andrew, let me tell you about fruitfulness. He's got them all together. You're, we, us, we're going to produce fruit. And that leads to our last verses as we get ready to close. Loved people, loved people. Love to the end. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servants do not know what the master's doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. <laughs> you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit shall abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The outworking of our fruitfulness is us loving one another. That's part of why we're going to spend time in 1 John um, this spring and into summer because it just talks a lot about this abiding and loving one another because we're continuing to lay foundations of gospel community in our church for the purposes of welcoming more people in, yes, but also like loving one another better so we're inviting people into a fruitful vine. See, I absolutely believe that loved people are called to love one another. And so what Jesus is talking about here is gospel friendship. Actually being friends with one another. That we're loved by God, that we love people, that, that Jesus has told them this is a new command for you to, to love one another. And the reason Jesus has to command it, why do you think that is? Because of sin, we don't naturally love one another. Because we, we've been harmed and we've harmed one another and Jesus commands to us 
is in Christ to love one another. And, and he's, he's talking about gospel friendship. Pastor Kent Hughes, kind of um, a theologian, he put into these three categories that I'll just run through quickly as we close. Number one, the gospel friendship is sacrificial. The, the basis for Jesus saying that we are his friends, that he has loved us, is his sacrifice. The, the, the greatest demonstration of love is not affection, but it's action. It's not emotions, it's sacrifice. We show what and who we love through our actions. It doesn't mean that there's only duty and no desire, but it's a sacrifice driven by desire for others. And so I want you to think about the people who are your closest friends or who have been your closest friends. And it may not always just be the people you have the most affection with, but they are the ones who have shown up for you when you've needed them most. Or when you are being a good friend, it is when you are showing up for others when you're needed the most. I want to be clear, this isn't manipulation. So don't, so don't go around to your friends and say, if you love me, you would sacrifice for me. Or in your marriage relationships, or in your parenting. And don't say, well, well, you know, I wanted something from you and you didn't give it, so you don't love me. I want to be clear what that is. That's not gospel friendship. That's toxic codependency. Okay? That can be corrected. That needs to be repented of. That may, that may mean you even have to change who you're in a relationship with, all right? But see, gospel friendship is sacrificial because Jesus initiates with us so that we can initiate with others. And this is in action and in attitudes where we're actually loving to other people. So because Jesus has loved us sacrificially, we can love others sacrificially. All right, number two, gospel friendship is mutual. Mutual. This is wild, right? Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is King. There is so much teaching in the New Testament about us as servants of God. Paul, um, the Apostle Paul even opens letters saying, I'm a slave to Christ. That does not sound like a mutual relationship. And yet here Jesus, like none of that changes. God is still God and we are not. Jesus is still King and we are not. But the fullness of the gospel, of the restoration of relationships between us and God is not just that we would be servants of God again, but it is also that we would be in mutual relationship with Him. Don't get this wrong and think to be fruitful or to grow means that you will grow up to be God. Then you'll have mutuality. You're going to fail. No, in fact... For there to be mutuality, God himself had to condescend in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That God meets us as friends where we're at. I mean, Jesus is teaching his disciples right at that moment. And in the next couple hours, Peter's going to like start an armed rebellion, cutting the guy's ear off. By the end of the night, he's going to have denied Jesus three times. Jesus' buddy Judas has already made plans to chuck him overboard, right? John, running around scared, doesn't know what's going on. These were Jesus' friends. So as jacked up as you are, as jacked up as I am, Jesus comes to us where we're at and says, friend. I mean, we need Christ the King. We need Jesus as Savior. We need our sins dealt with. But don't we all need a friend? Don't we all hate it when friendships end? It hurts, it stings, there's grief there. And Jesus is saying, I I'm a friend that shows up. That I have come to restore relationships that belong here. That there's actual intimacy in relationships and there's actual communication. He says, hey, um, I haven't held back from you. Everything the Father's told me to tell you, I've told you. Right? That's different than parent-child. There's things as parents we don't tell our kids for good reasons. Or things we say, don't watch. <laughs> or stories we haven't told them about our lives yet. Stay tuned, kids, when you're, when you're older. 
When you're an employee, your employer doesn't tell you everything. The government clearly doesn't tell us everything. But Jesus says, no, because you're my friend. I've told you everything you need to know. That simply put, God is not holding back on us or holding back from us. So there's things that we don't know, we don't fully understand, but we've been given what we need so that we can actually, in a gospel friendship, you can actually be vulnerable and transparent with others as true friends because you don't have to worry about, about your vulnerability being weaponized against you. That it's safe, not from pushback or correction, but, but you're not going to be rejected as a friend. So gospel friendship has mutuality. That because Jesus loves us and calls us friends, our friendships with others can be mutual, grace-based, and humble. Because we're not like, oh, I'm friends with this person because I know I'm slightly better than they are, so they will make me look better, and I can teach them a few things. Or I want to be friends with that person because their life is so aspirational that if I just glom myself onto them, maybe I can ride Mutuality. And then lastly, gospel friendships are promoting or, or encouraging. It should be encouraging that Jesus says, to be clear, you haven't chosen me. I chose you. Right? Ralph Wiggum from The Simpsons in his like little Valentine's card to Lisa Simpson, I choose you, choose you, with a picture of a train. Hooray. Jesus is better than Ralph Wiggum. He says, I choose you. I've, I've chosen you as a friend. And he knows that he needs to initiate because we are not going to initiate. He pursues to promote us. That he knows we need purpose. He knows, he says, you have been appointed to produce fruit. So they were out there being fisher, fishermen. They're out there living their lives. You're out there doing your whole thing. And Jesus says, I am pursuing you as a friend. And not only that, I'm bringing you into a mutual relationship where I've sacrificed for you. And now I've appointed you, promoted you, or encouraging you to grow, to produce fruit. He says, you can ask God the Father anything and he'll give it to you if it's for the purposes of your spiritual growth and fruitfulness. Man, that's a call to prayer. What I love about this is it teaches us that good friends are for the success of others. They're not threatened by others. That the people of God should be the biggest cheerleaders for one another here in this church and church to church. So there's other churches growing. <laughs> Praise God. You see on the Instagram some other church baptized 20 people on some weekend. That's our team. Cheer for that. Like, like we should be excited for the success of others, not threatened by it. So we pray for each other. We seek out what is good and commendable in others. We find the good in others and then we encourage it. Meaning, I'm so thankful God has brought you into this community because when you're here, our faces light up. The way you're generous, the way you serve, the way you're kind, the way you're faithful, the way you sing, whatever it is, let's encourage one another in the way we've been gifted because I do believe this adage is true. Hurt people hurt people, right? You've heard that? Hurt people hurt people. Who's been hurt? There we go. Good, lots of hands. The rest of us are too hurt to raise our hands. But we'll probably do that. Relationships will continue to be messy. We will, in some regards, sin against one another in some way, I'm sure. But if hurt people hurt people, loved people love people, healed people heal people, Maybe what you've gone through in pruning is to help somebody else who just got pruned to grow or be grafted in or to move towards greater fruitfulness. That encouraged people. Encourage people. So if we want to foster gospel community, we can acknowledge that we've been hurt. But let's remind ourselves how we've been loved. 
Let's seek healing that comes from the Lord for the purposes of healing others. And then let's be people who are constantly encouraging one another to encourage one another. So I want you to know that no matter what, you are not alone. That Jesus tells us this pruning, the obedience, the joy, the friendship, that, that all of these things are things that we're going to get to experience. And so when challenges and trials and difficulties invariably come in our lives or in our community or world or, or in our church, don't believe the lie that God is far. God is near to the brokenhearted. God is near to those who are also producing fruit. So I want you to ask yourself, do you feel cut off? Maybe you're like, I'm not connected to the source. And this is your day to actually repent of sin and say, I want to be grafted into the vine. I want to be really, really clear. God only has dead branches to work with. In the gospel, he grafts us back in to the vine to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life. So if you're like, I feel like I'm a withered branch, I feel like I'm going the wrong path, I feel like I'm not connected to Jesus, know that's where we all are without Jesus. You're not alone. But this could be your day to repent, to place your faith in Jesus and know that that moment you are connected to the source of life. Grafted in branches don't look fruitful right away. But the longer they're connected to the source, they grow. Maybe you're in a season right now where you are suffering if so, ask God to reveal his purposes and then rest knowing that none of it's wasted, that it's all purposeful, that it's using it for your growth. And it's okay to hate the pain of pruning and it's okay to long for greater fruitfulness. Let that lead you to greater prayer. Let that lead you to greater reliance on the Lord. God is a faithful and loving gardener. Maybe you just need to ask yourself, where do your trellises need to be built up? Is it in your gathering? Is it in your giving? Is it in your reading? Is it in prayer? Is it in generosity? Is it in intentionality? Is it in finally reaching out to others? What trellises need to be built or pursued intentionally, knowing that God has intentionally pursued you in Jesus Christ? And then lastly, where do you need to live out gospel friendship for others? I know we, we all find ourselves in places where we're waiting for a friend to initiate with us. Know that Jesus has already initiated. That the gospel is God initiating first. So when we live out gospel friendships, it might require us to be the ones that initiate first for healing, to initiate first for restoration of relationship, or building a, a new one. Who can you sacrifice for? Who can you meet where they're at? Who can you encourage? Who can you empower? Take heart. Be encouraged. Know that we're loved by God to bear fruit. It's been so awesome the last three months to see how God has changed and shaped this church. And I'm so excited to see the fruit that he is going to bear in the next three months, three years, and beyond as we continue to trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. God, you're good for us. Lord, I don't know where everyone